Book Two, Chapter Three, Part Two of Love Among the Artists by George Bernard Shaw. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Three, Part Two. Herbert, seeing that an awkward silence was likely to ensue, interposed good-humouredly. "What is your latest project?" he said. If you are an engineer still, your exterior is singularly unprofessional. Judging by appearances, I should say that I must be the engineer and you the artist. Oh, I've given up engineering, said Charlie. It's a mere trade. The fact is, I've come round at last to your idea that there is nothing like art. I have turned my attention to literature of late. To poetry, I presume, said Herbert, drawing the book from beneath his arm and looking at the title. I wish I had the least scrap of genius to make me a poet. In any case, I must give up the vagabond life I have been leading and settle down to some earnest pursuit. I may not ever be able to write a decent book, but I at least can persevere in the study of art and literature and... and so forth. Persevere in literature, repeated Mary. Oh, Charlie, how many novels and tragedies have you begun since we went to live at Beulah, and not one of them ever got to the second chapter? I showed my good sense in not finishing any of them. What has become of the pictures you used to work so hard at, and of the great compositions that were to have come of your studies with Jack? I think, said Herbert jocularly, that if we wait here until you and Mary agree on the subject of your perseverance, our dinner will be cold. Mrs. Hoskin is coming to dine with us this evening, Charlie. Suppose you join us. Thank you, he said hastily. I should like it of all things, but I am not dressed, and... Well, you can hardly propose to dress for dinner on my account at this late stage of our acquaintance, and Mrs. Herbert will excuse you, I think. You shall be the welcome, monsieur, said Aurélie, who had been gazing abstractedly down the vista at the white horse. Thanks very much indeed, said Charlie. This decided, it was arranged that they should go by train to High Street and walk thence to Herbert's lodging for he had never fulfilled his intention of taking a house, his wife being only nominally more at home in London than in the other European capitals. They accordingly moved towards the railway station, Adrian going first with Mary and Charlie following with Aurelie, who seemed unconscious of his presence, although his uneasiness, his frequent glances sidelong at her, and his occasional dumb efforts to hazard some commonplace remark were much more obvious than he suspected in this way they came within a hundred yards of the south kensington station without having exchanged a word his dismay increasing at every step he stole another look at her and this time met her eye which fixed him as if it had been that of the ancient mariner and the longer she looked the redder and more disconcerted he became well monsieur beatty she said composedly he glanced apprehensively at adrian who was within earshot i hardly know how to tell you he said but my name is not beatty is it possible i beg your pardon monsieur i mistook you for a gentleman of that name whom i met at paris you resemble him very much no i assure you said charlie eagerly i am not in the least like him i know the fellow you mean he was a drunken wretch whom you rescued from being run over or robbed in the street and who made a most miserable ass of himself in return he is dead Jesus Christ! ejaculated Aurelie with an irrepressible start. Do not say such things. What do you mean? 
dead as a doornail said charlie triumphant at having shaken her composure but still very earnest he was killed scotched stamped out of existence by remorse and by being unable to endure the contrast between his worthlessness and your your goodness if you would only forget him and not think of him whenever you see me you would confer a very great favour on me far greater than i deserve will you do so please mrs herbert i believe you will make great success as a poet said aurelie looking coldly at him you are what you call clever ah this underground railway is a horror they said nothing more to one another until they left the train at high street from which they walked in the same order as before charlie again at a loss for something to say but no longer afraid to speak his first effort was i hope madame szymplica is quite well thank you she is quite well you will see her presently what is she staying with you yes you are glad of that no i'm not he said bluntly how could i be glad she remembers that vagabond of whom we were speaking what shall i do aurelie shook her head gravely truly i do not know she replied you had better prepare for the worst it is very easy for you to make a jest of the affair mrs herbert if you had as much cause to be ashamed of meeting her as i have you would not laugh at me however since you have forgiven me i think she may very well do so madame szymplica did in fact receive him without betraying the slightest emotion she did not remember him all her attention was absorbed by other considerations which led her to draw her daughter into a private conversation on the stairs whilst their guests supposed her to be fetching the baby my child have you brought home dinner as well as guests what are they to eat do you think that the proprietress can provide a double dinner at a moment's notice she must maman it is very simple let her go to the shops to the pastry cooks let her go wherever she will so that the dinner be ready perhaps there is enough in the house and how there there she will manage easily if not how can i help it i know nothing about such things go for the bambino and do not fret about the dinner all will be well depend upon it and she retreated quickly into the drawing-room madame szymplica raised her hands in protest let them fall in resignation and went upstairs whence she presently returned with a small baby who looked very sad and old behold it said aurelie interlacing her fingers behind her back and nodding from a distance towards her child see how solemn he looks he is a true englishman the baby uttered a plaintive sound and stretched out one fist aha knowest thou thy mother's voice rogue does he not resemble adrian mary took the infant gently kissed it shook its toes called it endearing names and elicited several inarticulate remonstrances from it adrian felt ridiculous and acknowledged his condition by a faint smile charlie kept cautiously aloof mary was in the act of handing the child carefully back to madame szymplica when aurelie interposed swiftly tossed it up to the ceiling and caught it dexterously adrian stepped forward in alarm madame uttered a polish exclamation and the baby itself growled angrily being sent aloft a second time it howled with all its might now you shall see said aurelie suddenly placing it supine kicking and screaming on the pianoforte she then began to play the skater's quadrille from meyerbeer's opera of the prophet the baby immediately ceased to kick became silent 
and lay still with the bland expression of a dog being scratched or a lady having her hair combed it has a vile taste in music she said when the performance was over it is old-fashioned and everything ah yes monsieur sutherland would you kindly pass the little one to my mother madame szymplica hastily advanced to forestall charlie's compliance with this request made purposely to embarrass him but he lifted the baby very expertly and even gave it a kiss before he handed it to the old lady who watched him as if he were handling a valuable piece of china there take it away said aurelie you would make a good nurse monsieur what a mother whispered madame szymplica poor infant and she indignantly carried it away i wish you would grow up all at once said aurelie by the time he is a man i shall be an old woman half deaf with gout in my fingers he will go to hear the new players and wonder how i got my reputation ah it is a stupid world one may say so before you madame because you are a philosopher madame szymplica soon returned and was of much service in maintaining conversation as she was not like the other three unable to avoid keeping a furtive watch on her daughter at dinner aurelie when she found that the talk would go on without her help said no more eating but little and drinking water in her abstraction she engaged their attention more than ever mary trying to puzzle out the real nature of adrian's wife considered her carefully but vainly the pianist's character appeared as vaguely to her mind as the face did to her short-sighted eyes even herbert though he ate with the appetite of a husband often glanced along the table with the admiration of a lover charlie did not dare to look often but he sought for distorted images of her face in glass vessels and bowls of spoons and gazed at them instead at last mary oppressed by her silence determined to make her speak is it possible that you never drink wine she said you who work so hard never said aurelie resuming her volition instantly i have in the tip of every finger a sensation of touch the most subtle the most delicate that you can conceive it is a chose a species of nervous organization one single glass of wine would put all those little nerves to sleep my fingers would become hammers like the fingers of all the world and i should be excited and have a great pleasure to hammer as all the world has but i could no longer make music aurelie has remarkable theories of what she calls her fine touch said herbert practically i find that when she is in a musical humour and enjoys her own playing she says she has found her fingers but when only other people enjoy it then the touch is gone the fingers are like the fingers of all the world and i receive formal notice that mademoiselle szymplica is about to retire from the musical profession yes yes you are very wise you have not this fine touch and you do not understand if you had ah how you would draw you would be greater than no matter what artist in the world mary burned with indignation at aurelie knowing how it hurt herbert to be reminded that he was not a first-rate artist aurelie indifferent to the effect of her speech relapsed into meditation until they left the table when she seated herself at the pianoforte and permitted charlie to engage her in conversation whilst herbert became engrossed by a discussion with mary on painting and madame szymplica sat still in a corner knitting what said aurelie when charlie had been speaking for some time were you at that concert too yes then you have been at every concert where i have played since i returned to london do you go to all concerts to all of those at which you play 
not to the others. Oh, I understand. You pay me a compliment. I am very, very recognizant, do you call it, of your appreciation. I am musical, you know. I was to have been a musician and had lessons from old Jack in the noble art. But I gave it up, I am sorry to say. What presumption! It does not become you to speak of a great man in that fashion, Monsieur Charles. True, Mrs. Herbert. But then nobody minds what I say. Tiens, said Aurelie with a light laugh. You are right. You know how to make everything gay. And so you gave up the music and are now to be a poet. Can you think of no more suitable profession than that? It's the only one left to me except the army, and that is considered closed to me because my brother, Phipson's daughter's husband, you know, is there already. First I was to be a college don, a professor. Then I took to music. Then I tried the bar, the medical, engineering, the Indian civil service, and got tired of them all. In fact, I only drew the line at the church. What is that? You drew a line at the church? It is what you very properly call an idiotisme. I mean that I would not condescend to be a parson. What a philosopher! Proceed. I am now, if the poetry fails, which it most likely will, going into business. I shall try for a post in the Connolly Electromotor Company. I think that will suit you best. I will play you something to encourage you. She began to play a polonaise by Chopin. Herbert and Mary ceased speaking, but presently resumed their conversation in subdued tones. Charlie listened eagerly. When the polonaise was finished, she did not stop, but played on, looking at the ceiling, and occasionally glancing at Charlie's face. Aurelie, said Herbert, raising his voice suddenly, where are those sketches that Mrs. Scott left here last Tuesday? Oh, I say, said Charlie, in a tone of strong remonstrance as the music ceased. Herbert, not understanding, looked inquiringly at him. Aurelie rose, took the sketches from her music stand, and handed them silently to Mrs. Hoskin. I am afraid we have interrupted you, said Mary, coloring. Aurelie deprecated the apology by a gesture, and sat down in a low chair near the window. I wish you'd play again if you're not tired, Mrs. Herbert, said Charlie timidly. She shook her head. It is hard that I should have to suffer because my sister has a wooden head with no ears on it, he whispered, glancing angrily not at Mary but at Adrian. I was comfortably settled in heaven when they interrupted you. I wish Jack was here. He would have given them a piece of his mind. Mr. Herbert does not like Monsieur Jacques. Monsieur Jacques doesn't like Mr. Herbert either. There is no love lost between them. Adrian hates Jack's music, and Jack laughs at Adrian's pictures. Maman, ring the bell. Tell them to bring some tea. Yes, my angel. The conversation now became general and desultory. Mary, fearing that she had already been rudely inattentive to her hostess, thought it better not to continue her chat with Adrian. I see our telegram is of no avail, she said. Mr. Hoskin has probably dined at his club. The more fool he, said Charlie morosely. What is that for, said Mary, surprised by his tone. He looked sulkily at the piano and did not reply. Then he stole a glance at Aurelie and was much put out to find that she was tendering him her empty teacup. He took it and replaced it on the table in confusion. And so, she said, when he was again seated near her, you have succeeded in none of your professions. This sudden return to a dropped subject put him out still more. I, you mean my, 
Your métier, whatever you call them. I am not surprised, Monsieur Charles. You have no patience. I can be patient enough when I like. Do you ever like? Sometimes. When you play, for instance, I could listen for a year without getting tired. You would get very hungry, and I should get very tired of playing. Besides, a thud, followed by babyish screams, interrupted her. She listened for a moment and left the room, followed by her mother. Mary and Adrian, accustomed to such incidents, did not stir. Charlie, reassured by their composure, took up the book of sketches. Adrian, said Mary in a low voice, do you think Mrs. Herbert is annoyed with me? No, why? I mean, was she annoyed today in the studio? I should not think so. No, why should she be annoyed with you? Not perhaps with me particularly, but with both of us. You must know what I mean, Adrian. I felt in an excessively false position when she came in. I do not mean exactly that she might be jealous, but... Reassure yourself, Mary, he replied with a sad smile. She is not jealous. I wish she were. You wish it? Yes, it would be a proof of love. I doubt if she is capable of jealousy. I hope not. She must have thought it very odd, and of course we looked as guilty as possible. Innocent people always do. Hush, here she is. Have you restored peace to the nursery, Mrs. Herbert? My mother is doing so, said Aurelie. It is a very unlucky child. It is impossible to find a cot that it cannot fall out of. But do not rise. Is it possible that you are going? Mary, who in spite of Herbert's assurance was not comfortable, invented unanswerable reasons for returning home at once. Charlie had to leave with her. He tried to bid Aurelie good-night unconcernedly, but failed. Mary remarked to Herbert, who accompanied them to the door, that Charlie had behaved himself much less awkwardly as a boy than he did now as a man. Adrian assented, let them out, stood for a moment to admire the beauty of the evening, and returned to the drawing-room where Aurelie was sitting on an ottoman, apparently deep in thought. Come, he said spiritedly, does not Mrs. Hoskin improve on acquaintance? Is she not a nice woman? Aurelie looked at him drowsily for a moment and then said, Charming. I knew you would like her. That was a happy thought of yours to ask her to dinner. I am very glad you did. I owed you some reparation, Adrian. What for? he said, instinctively feeling damped. For interrupting your tete-a-tete. He laughed. Yes, he said, but you owe me no reparation for that. You came most opportunely. That is what I thought. Ah, my friend, how much more I admire you when you are in love with Mrs. Hoskin than when you are in love with me. You are so much more manly and thoughtful, and you abandoned her to marry me. What folly! Adrian stood open-mouthed, not only astonished, but anxious that she should perceive his astonishment. Aurelie, he exclaimed, is it possible, it is hardly conceivable, that you are jealous? No, replied she, after some consideration. I do not think I am jealous. Perhaps Mr. Hoskin will be, if he happens upon another tete-a-tete, but you do not fight in England, so it does not matter. Aurelie, are you serious? Wherefore should I not be serious, she said, rousing herself a little. Because, he answered gravely, your words imply that you have a vile opinion of Mrs. Hoskin and of me. Oh, no, no, she said, carelessly reassuring him. I do not think that you are a wicked gallant like Don Juan. I know that you would both think that a great English sin. 
i suspect you of nothing except what i saw in your faces when you had her hands clasped in yours you could not look at me so what do you mean said he indignantly i will show you she replied calmly rising and approaching him give me your hands aurelie this is child both your hands give them to me she took them as she spoke he looking foolish meanwhile now she said taking a step back so that they were nearly at arm's length behold what i mean look at my eyes as you looked at hers if you can she waited but his face expressed nothing but confusion you cannot she added attempting to loose his hands but he grasped her tightly drew her towards him and kissed her ah she said disengaging herself quietly i did not see that part of it i was only at the door for a moment before i spoke nonsense aurelie i do not mean that i kissed mrs hoskyn then you should have when a woman gives you both her hands that is what she expects but i pledge you my word that you are mistaken we were simply shaking hands on a bargain the commonest thing possible in england a bargain an agreement a species of arrangement between us eh bien and what was this agreement that called such a light into your eyes adrian about to reply confidently hesitated when he realized the impression which his words would probably convey it is rather difficult to explain he began then do not explain it for it is very easy to understand i know i know my poor adrian you are in love without knowing it ah i envy mrs hoskyn if you really mean that he said eagerly i will forgive you all the rest i envy her the power to be in love rejoined aurelie sitting down again and speaking meditatively i cannot love i feel it in the music in the romance in the poetry but in real life it is impossible i am fond of maman fond of the bambino fond of you sometimes but this is not love not such love as you used to feel for me as she feels now for you i see people and things too clearly to love ah well i must content myself with the music it is but a shadow perhaps it is as real as love is after all in short aurelie you do not love me and never have loved me not in your way why did you not tell me this before because whilst you loved me it would have wounded you i love you still and you know it why did you not tell me so before we were married ah i had forgotten that i must have loved you then but you were only half real i did not know you what is the matter with you you ask me what is the matter after after oh, come and sit by me and be tranquil you are making grimaces like a comedian i do more for you than you deserve for i still cherish you as my husband whilst you make bargains as you call it with other women aurelie he said sternly there is one course and only one left to us we must separate separate and for why because you do not love me i suspected it before now i know it your respect for me has vanished too i can at least set you free i owe that much to myself you may not see the necessity for this and i cannot make you see it none the less we must separate and what shall i do for a husband do you forget your duty to me and to my child well it does not matter go but look you adrian if you abandon your home only to draw that woman away from hers it will be an infamy one that will estrange me from you forever 
Do not hope when you tire of her, for one tires of all pronounced people, and she in face and character is very pronounced. Do not hope then to console yourself with me. You may be weak and foolish if you will, but when you cease to be a man of honour, you are no longer my Adrian. And how, in heaven's name, shall I be the worse for that, since already I am no longer your Adrian? You have told me that you never cared for me. I tell you that I am not of a nature to fall in love. Be calm, and do not talk of separation in such silly things. Have I not been good to her and to you this day? Upon my soul, cried Adrian despairingly, I believe you are either mad or anxious to make me mad. He is swearing, she ejaculated, lifting her hands. I am not in love with Mary, he continued. It is a gross and absurd libel on both of us to say so if any one be to blame you are yes you aurelie you have put the vilest construction on a perfectly innocent action of mine and now you tell me with the most cynical coolness that you do not care for me aurelie implying by a little shrug that she gave him up rose and went to the piano the moment her fingers touched the keys she seemed to forget him but she stopped presently and said with grave surprise what did you say adrian nothing he replied shortly nothing she repeated incredulously nothing that was intended for your ears since you overheard me i beg your pardon i do not often offend you with such language but to-night i do say with all my soul damn that pianoforte without doubt you have often said so before under your breath said aurelie closing the instrument quietly are you going he said anxiously as she moved toward the door no he exclaimed springing forward and timidly putting his arm about her i did not mean that i disliked your playing i only hate the piano when you make me jealous of it when you go to it to forget me it does not matter be tranquil i am not offended she said coldly trying to disengage herself you are indeed aurelie pray do not be so quick to adrian you are worrying me you will make me cry and then i will never forgive you let me go at the threat of crying he released her and stood looking piteously at her you should not make scenes with me she said plaintively where is my handkerchief i had it a moment ago here it is my darling he said humbly picking it up from the floor where it had fallen she took it without thanking him then glancing petulantly at him and seeing him dejected and wistful she relented and stretched out her arms for a caress mon ami she whispered soothingly as she rested her face against his ma vie he responded fervently and clasped her with a shudder of delight to his breast end of chapter three recording by expatriate in bangor maine